We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With Well, hey there, Pacer Nation. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. I'm your host for tonight's show, Alex Golden, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, my man? Nothing much, Alex. Always happy to be here. Uh, the Pacers' road trip has concluded, as well as an unfortunate home loss to the Clippers, but we don't have to wait too long because the Celtics are coming to town. I think the Pacers can get some revenge soon enough. Absolutely. So let's just go ahead and let the people know about our show, Fachi, and how we're going to be formatting this a little bit differently going forward, I guess you could say. you know. So we're not going to preview games and recap games for the entirety of the show because that can just get a little dry and a little bit boring after a while. You know, There's only so much you can say about Hawks, Pacers in a, in a 30-minute podcast. You know what I mean? So, Fachi, we're going to start things off on today's show talking with you with your facts with Fachi. Then we're going to run down to the, the player of the week. And then we got a new segment called Hoops and Headlines. So what exactly will we be doing in the Hoops and Headlines segment? So for Hoops and Headlines, we're going to go around the league and just mention a few of uh, the key notes that's going around. It could be trade rumors. It could be specific quotes. But just kind of recapping of what's going around the overall NBA. And uh, I think that's going to be uh, pretty interesting to all listeners. 
Absolutely. And then, of course, we're going to do our Pacers fantasy basketball rundown, see if Team Fachi can even sniff, uh, you know, Team Alex's uh, jockstrap here. But I don't think that'll be the case. And then we're going to highlight three players uh, from the upcoming game. So this week we'll highlight players from Boston, Atlanta, and Charlotte. Then we'll take another break, come back, and recap last night's game and preview the Celtics game in full to end the show. So if you guys uh, would let us know how you feel about the new segment and the new setup, how we're doing everything, that'd be great. And like we mentioned on Twitter today on Setting the Pace 3, we are also going to be doing a voicemail show very, very soon. And we're not sure how we're going to format that into everything, but be on the lookout for that because I think that's something we're going to be doing frequently. Yeah, and Alex, I gotta say, if the grand prize is being able to sniff uh, Team Alex's jockstrap, then maybe I might just forfeit this season because there's got to be something better to look forward to than that. I don't but, know. Uh, it smells we'll pretty see good. How the, I don't know. We're gonna see how the ferocious Fachis do later on. But uh, yeah, let's uh, move over to our first uh, segment of uh, of the show. Alrighty, everybody. Here is our first segment of the show. It's facts with Fachi. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, everybody, for Facts with Fachi, my first fact of the show is DeMontis Sabonis' 22 rebounds last night were not only a career high, but the most for the Pacers since Dale Davis had 22 rebounds back on December 30th, 1993. That was actually the fourth most in franchise history. Moving over to the second fact, the Pacers' starting lineup of Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner are actually have a net rating of plus 16.7, which is tied for the second best of all starting lineups in the NBA. So I know while we haven't seen it quite often, it has been very effective. And then for the third fact of the show, the Pacers have four players ranking in the top 36 in two-point percentage. And that is Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, and DeMontis Sabonis. The Pacers are the only team to have four players in the top 36, as no one has more than two players. So wow, that's for today, that was... There, it, it really is, because the Pacers are, I believe, the only team, or one of three teams, actually, with four players above 17 points per game. So you are getting a balanced scoring attack. Attack, But uh, I think the best is yet to come because eventually we will include Victor Oladipo in that lineup, having us be even more balanced. That's pretty scary to think of. That is pretty scary, and you have to wonder if any of those guys that are currently you know, scoring the way they are will have to take a dip. I mean, I, I think Jeremy Lamb is a possibility, but I also could see T.J. Warren take a little bit of a dip knowing that the shots won't be there for him. I really do think that Lamb's probably going to be the guy that's going to sacrifice the most moving the starting unit. However, I do think that there'll still be a great role carved out for him as the, the leading scorer of that second unit. T.J. Warren kind of seems like the guy who is going to have his shots cut a bit. Um, yeah. We've seen T.J. Warren sometimes look automatic. Sometimes we've seen him not really showing up as much. But I do think T.J. Warren averaging around 17 points per game probably is what would be most successful for this team. Absolutely. And, you know, a little fact for you, Fachi, 
Dale Davis, uh, you know, back mm-hmm. in 1993, got those many rebounds. His son is currently playing for the Indiana Hoosiers. So it's kind of cool to see how the Indiana ties just continue to go along, even though it's how many years? 26 years ago? Wow, yeah, it really was. And uh, I got to love Dale Davis, a two-time Indiana Pacer. Loved his second run with the team also, uh, quite some years after the first. And I believe it was also Antonio Davis's son had worked out in a, in a pre-draft uh, workout for the Pacers. I believe it was last year. So, man, Alex, time flies. Uh, the youth is just coming through. And uh, it would be nice to see uh, Dale Davis's son in a Pacer uniform if he is obviously you know worthy enough. I think I think a lot of IU fans are very happy with the way he's playing. But I think that's going to wrap it up for Facts with Fachi. So let's move on over to the Golden Star Player of the Week. Alrighty, everybody. And the Golden Star Player of the Week is the one and only, you guys guessed it, DeMontis Sabonis. Over the last four games, Sabonis averaged 18 points per game on 50% shooting. He averaged 15.8 rebounds per game. He also had 1.3 steals per game and one block per game. I think last night's 22 rebounds really did help get that average from 13, which he had been averaging all year long, up to 15.8 over the last four games. But, of course, there's no other player to give it to than Demonte Sabonis after the week he had. Just another consistent, solid week for his All-Star campaign. It's completely true. I mean, Sabonis is easily uh, the Golden Star Player of the Week. He's been someone that you can just count on just nonstop. A double-double in 17 of his last 18 games, the month of December. You know, pretty much as you mentioned, 18 points per game, close to 15.5 rebounds, 50% shooting. I mean, that's just covering so far of the month. But Sabonis, the 22 rebounds, I mean, he continues to top himself what feels like maybe every few weeks in rebounds that there is no telling me that Sabonis couldn't go for a 25-rebound game this year. You can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. I mean, if another team has a bad shooting night like they did against the Pacers, I mean, the Clippers did not shoot the ball well. Lou Williams was no. like 3 of 19 last night, and he just completely— 2 of 19. 2 Even of 19. Worse. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the guy wasn't hitting any of his shots, and there was a lot of opportunities for rebounds, and that's—McMillan said it. I mean, there's going to be nights like that. And Sabonis just plays hard every single time he's out on the floor. And he doesn't have to, you know, be involved on every play as far as touching the ball, but he's always setting off screens for Doug McDermott, guys that are moving without the basketball. He's always involved that way, and he goes out and gets the ball. I mean, offensive rebounds are things that are hard to get in the NBA, and that is one thing Sabonis does terrific. He goes after the ball, and sometimes, you know, a little bit, Foul happy, but at the end of the day, you just got to love what Sabonis has been doing overall this season and and this week. Really, he just was the most consistent pacer out of anybody on the team. No, he definitely was, but also just from an assist standpoint, so far this month averaging 4.2 assists per game, 3.7 on the season. For a big man, I mean, those are some really strong numbers right there. Uh, He is a absolute stat sheet stuffer. And it, it's just it creates so many extra you know open looks for players on the team that you just you don't always take into effect. So Sabonis definitely the gold star player of the week and uh, someone who 
we're very fortunate to have and continue to hope to continue to have this production. All righty, let's move on over to the Hoops and Headlines segment. Fachi, you want to give us a rundown of the NBA standings? Sure. Right now in the league, it is getting tight up in the in the East. Uh, I mean, a lot of good teams. Originally, you know, usually the East is top heavy, but first we have the Milwaukee Bucks at twenty one and three with the first seed right now. Then number two, the Boston Celtics at seventeen and five. Then the Miami Heat, a team that I completely slept on coming into the year. They're seventeen and six right now. The Philadelphia Phillies, a team that was projected to maybe even... I'm sorry. The Philadelphia (laughs) 76ers. I got to get my mind out of baseball. Um, They are 17-7 and right now. The Sixers were a team that people projected maybe as the one or the two seed, but right now they sit in the four seed, still early. Number five, the Toronto Raptors, a team that you said may not even make the playoffs this year, is 16-7. and Uh, so right now they're looking pretty strong, though you know they've looked a little bit better. Um, the, at number six, the Indiana Pacers, our beloved Indiana Pacers, at fifteen and nine. Number seven, the Brooklyn Nets at thirteen and ten, a team that is eight and two in their last ten, all of which without Kyrie Irving. Wow! And at number eight. The Orlando Magic at 11 and 12, trying to get back to 500. Very respectable for them. So that rounds out the the top eight teams. Uh, once you get below eight, it, it looks like a bunch of teams that I don't feel quite confident in that they climb into the playoff race. The Detroit Pistons are that team right outside the Detroit. Eight seed. I think Detroit can exactly. make. They're only a game and a half back. The, they're the one team that I think could still be in the hunt due to Blake Griffin missing time. They are at ten and fourteen right now. Yeah, they're at ten and fourteen. You got the Hornets, they're at nine and sixteen. The Bulls, eight and seventeen. Washington, seven and fifteen. Atlanta, six and seventeen. Cleveland, five and eighteen. And your beloved New York Knicks, four and nineteen. So, uh, not not the <laughs> your your Washington Wizards though. Fauci, seven and fifteen. Bradley Beal carrying them, but uh, right. no. <laughs> I take claim to neither of those teams. Thank you very much. Well, that's where your family's from and where you live, so you kind of have some investment there. But anyway, I mean, I, I think that you look at the top six teams in the Eastern Conference, there's some really good talent there, and Brooklyn's really coming together. I mean, they have been on fire, like you mentioned. But we, I just got to take a minute and just look at what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing. 15 wins in a row? Wouldn't that be nice? I'm excited for a four-game winning streak. Oh my God! Uh, in a row, the Bucks. I mean, this is with the subtraction of Malcolm Brogdon and and Chris Middleton missing. You know, a, a few weeks of time. I mean, they look like a very well oiled machine. The Bucks keep it going. You know, the, the East has had a, a new team represent the conference every year, dating back to over the last ten years. But it looks like Milwaukee could be that team to say, "Hey, we got no problem doing it again." Well, and I mean, if you look at their points per game, they're averaging 120.5 points per game. And if you look at that compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff teams, the team that's got the second highest offensive uh, points per game is Brooklyn at 112.6. But the the you know what they're holding their opponents to is 107 points per game. So the net difference is 13.3. No other team in the Eastern Conference is 
got a net difference of double digits. I mean, that's 13.3 points that they're outscoring their opponents by. They're just they're just doing it with random guys. I mean, Wesley Matthews last year on the Pacers, we know what he is. He's okay, but I mean, he's looking good with Milwaukee. Uh, DiVincenzo, he played with Villanova a couple of years ago. I mean, just this Milwaukee team. I, Giannis Antetokounmpo right now has got to be the front runner for MVP, despite has what anybody says. He's gotten so much better since last year, and he was MVP last year. He has to be. Uh, he continues to get better year after year. I mean, it's, it's getting scary because what is this guy's ceiling? I mean, he's 25 years old. And he continues to improve every single year. Every year that he's been in the NBA, he's gone up in scoring and rebounding. I mean, it's it's crazy. The the field goal percentage continues to just go up. He's about 1% down from last year, but he's taking three more shots. He's still shooting over 56%. I mean, you can't nitpick one part of his game. He's now even shooting a career-high percentage from three. He's also made a three in, I believe, 17 straight games this year. So the three-point shot is coming. Giannis yeah. has to be the MVP this year. Absolutely, Faji. There's, there's no doubt about it. He's got to be the front runner. Uh, say what you want about LeBron, Luka Doncic, James Harden, all those guys. But if you won 15 games in a row, I mean, the Lakers are up there, so LeBron's got a pretty good case as well. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. – yeah, uh, he's not playing with an Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis level player next to him. Not at all. And you know, you can say the East is worse than the West, but if you look at the standings, it's pretty close. So, anyway, Fachi, let's move on to the next part of hoops and headlines. Let's look at those trade rumors. You know, with December fifteenth approaching very quickly, all the guys that were signed in the offseason will be eligible to be traded, and trade rumors are going to be heating up, especially with the free agent market and free agent talent that's going to be out there this summer not being very well uh there's going to be a lot of trade rumors flying all over the place and there's some guys that you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about from kevin o'connor's piece on the ringer so yeah sure i mean right now we have crossed over to uh you know a quarter of the way into the year and teams that are not performing as well are starting to let it be known that they are open to trade talks and one of those teams was the cleveland cavaliers They let it be known that Kevin Love is reportedly available on the trade market, and Love has made it known that he would prefer to play for his hometown team, the Portland Trailblazers. Now, Alex, we've seen Kevin Love's name floated around for what feels like since he's joined Cleveland. Right. All right. Do we see this being the year that Kevin Love is dealt? He signed a huge deal last year. Barely even played, and Cleveland looks like they're not going to be winning anytime soon. Do you see Kevin Love getting dealt this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable that he does get dealt. I just think it's going to be the asking price. And while he wants to go to Portland, they don't really have the greatest players to offer. They do have some young talent, and Anthony Simons and Mm -hmm. possibly um, their big guy, Zach Collins. But it just really depends on what Cleveland is looking for. And... There's other teams in Kevin O'Connor's piece that could outbid the Portland Trailblazers. You've got teams like the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets who have a little bit more depth on their roster, and they might have more draft picks they would be willing to deal to get a Kevin Love. You know, Kevin Love on Phoenix might be really fun. I'm not sure what they would do, but I think him and Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio and that whole lineup would be an interesting pairing, and I think that same thing goes for Denver. I'm not really sure what they would do and who they would move to get him, but, you know, just there's guys that – Kevin Love's a really good basketball player. I don't think he's the greatest defensive player, 
But offensively, he is a really, really good asset. And if he gets traded to any of those three teams or any other team, he's going to make them a better basketball team in a discussion. Oh, flat out. And I do remember Phoenix having interest in Kevin Love in the past. I think that Phoenix would love to make a move. I do think when you mentioned Denver, Denver is a team where you have Paul Millsap expiring right now. He's making about $30 million, so the salary matches up. And Denver has a ton of younger talent in there where I do think that it would be intriguing. Uh, I do think that they can, you know, assemble a interesting trade package for Cleveland to definitely have to consider um, at that point. I, I think if you're Cleveland, you know, Alex, I could be wrong, but I felt like Cleveland wanted to re-sign Kevin Love last year to kind of prove to the fans that, hey, we're not going to just tank. We are trying to win. I didn't think the deal made that much sense to give Kevin Love that much money in what looked like a definite rebuild. Yeah, I mean, did that deal make much sense to you? I mean, I kind of get it because they were a little upset with LeBron James deciding to leave. Yeah. And they wanted to be like, oh, we can win without LeBron. Well, Exactly. Sit down. But they can't. You, you, <laughs> they you can't. Know, I mean, it's cute, but stop. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, it's the same thing we talked about with Sabonis this year. Not to you know bring it back to the Pacers always, but this is a Pacers podcast. The thing we talked about with Sabonis is sign him, sign him, sign him no matter what because you want that asset. You don't want him. Let him walk for free, and then you can get something out of him. Kevin Love is good enough that they could get something really talented out of him. And, oh, definitely. You know, not saying the Pacers should do this, and I'm not saying Miles Turner would be a good trade for Kevin Love for the Pacers standpoint, but you see a guy struggling like Turner who's at $18 million, You package him with somebody else. Maybe, you know, that's what the, the Cavaliers are looking for, a young player that's not performing as well as the team might hope they would be, and – they can sell high on Kevin Love, but Kevin Love's 32 years old. So if you're getting a yep. young player or a pick for that kind of player, for the Cavaliers that are rebuilding, that's a smart investment instead of letting Kevin Love walk away for free. Oh, definitely. And I do think that Cleveland is the kind of team that, you know, would would love to be able to kind of make that swap. Um, but, you know, you got to tread lightly because Pacer Nation will come after you if you start floating around Miles Turner and these rumors. But a guy that I know you would love packaged in there – because you tried to package him plenty of times last year. Doug McDermott. I don't and know if I Turner. want that. I don't want I that. I know anymore. you don't this year. Last Not this year. year. You, that was last year. I know. I was just I was just laughing and I was just thinking to myself because the salaries would match up if you if you put Miles Turner and McDermott together. However, you know, as you mentioned, the the age, it's a big difference there. You're talking about close to about seven year difference. Uh you would hope Miles Turner would continue to get better. But I think that uh, that's a deal for, for both teams would make sense. Yeah, well, there was also some other guys that Kevin O'Connor mentioned in his article, if you didn't get to see it. And one guy that I think would make a perfect fit for the Pacers is Robert Covington from the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm kind of flabbergasted that he's actually on the trade market and that there's teams. What I think really what it is is the, the Timberwolves are not really – playing at the level they want to play at and this is like one of the only trade chips that they have that teams are really interested in because the contract is fairly you know easy to trade for it's around 11 million i believe he's 29 mm-hmm. years old i think it is i'm not sure exactly on his age but i think it's like he's 28 20. he turns 29 uh this week actually okay so yeah 29 years old and whatever i mean i still think that's in his prime and he's a perfect three and d in my opinion he can play the four a little bit I mean, I don't know what they'd want in return for him. I know 
in this article, Houston has shown interest in him, but ultimately, I would love Covington on the Pacers. I think he'd be a perfect fit uh, in that starting lineup, probably a little bit better than what they're doing with Turner now on the offensive end. Defensively, he could probably guard wings a little bit better, let Sabonis guard fives, but you know, I mean, I, I can't see Turner and Cat playing together either. Uh, I can't see that, but I, I think that Robert Covington is a player that fits every team. Uh, I think I love how I love his way into the league. I mean, he was just someone who just grinded and grinded and grinded. He's out of Tennessee State, you know. Eventually, you know, he's dealt from Houston, carves out a role on the on that those Sixers teams that were just tanking, and yet he's always still brought up in trade rumors. Uh, that contract that you mentioned, it's it's perfect for just about every team. Right. Uh, and Robert Covington is a team that he's a player that makes every team better. So if the Pacers did have an opportunity to get Covington, sure. I mean, why not? But uh, And I do think he would probably be more of a, a typical power forward than what they're doing right now with Sabonis and Turner. But at the same point, uh, you know, I, I just don't see it, see him coming to the Pacers. But that's a team that, that's a player that a lot of teams have to be looking at right now. Yeah, the only thing that I could really see happening is a three-team deal. And I'm not just making this up. I just... Whatever. I just think that Minnesota had so much interest in D'Angelo Russell this offseason. Yes, they did. I could and see I think they trade, still do. And I think that you could see a, a three-way trade um, eventually. I mean, the thing is the Warriors might actually like Robert Covington on their roster. I think he'd actually be a good fit for their team. But if they're looking for a center to go with Draymond, Clay, and, and Steph, I think Miles Turner would be a perfect center for that team. And you could possibly see a three-team trade that way where Russell goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Pacers get Covington, ship Turner out to the Warriors. That would make sense if that was something that all teams agreed on. If you're looking to upgrade and kind of just, you know, make a deal that you think can help your team. But anyway, I don't really want to just start throwing out rumors yet because I don't want to have all the Turner haters mad at me for suggesting his name in a rumor. I'm not saying that I think he needs to go, but I'm saying if you get the right person, it makes sense. Anyway, uh, OKC, they've got Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, and Steven Adams on the trade block. Any of those guys interest you at all? Yeah, Danilo Gallinari is a, is a player that I think would be very interesting uh, to add. For $22 million, that's going to be tough. Exactly. Hey, look, it's going to be tough. It's not going to happen. But he has been playing his best basketball the last few years. I mean, right now, you know, he's shooting right around 45%, over 40 from three. Last year, over 43% from three. Um, averaging, you know, a career high the last two years. Gallinari is a good player. He is. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to bring him in at, at the risk of, like, how much would the Pacers have to give up? Would it mess up the team's depth? I don't know. Uh, I, he's, a, he's a player where it, I think if there was a three-team trade, you'd have to give up too much. It'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. Obviously, at power forward, you know that that would be you know, probably a bit better offensively. Uh, defensively, you know, I think Much the Pacers worse. probably take a yeah, exactly. I was going to put hit. it lightly and say say quote take a hit, but that's uh, <laughs> that's definitely putting it lightly. Um, yeah. Now, for the other names that you mentioned, Chris Paul, yeah. I bet they would want to trade Chris Paul, but that contract is pretty much unmovable for at least one more year. 
He's like a savage, Paul, though, man. He's a savage. Oh, yeah. I actually like OKC Chris Paul. I like what he's been doing recently. Like they're really competitive. The besides the Pacers win, I mean the Pacers win against them. They've been playing pretty good basketball. They're in the playoff picture right now. If they don't trade any of these guys, I mean they could make the playoffs still. I'm gonna tip my hat to OKC real quick because I actually thought they would be pretty bad this year. Uh, I thought that this was going to be a team that would win the low th- 30s in games, maybe like you know 30, 31 wins. They're already at 11 and two. I think with the amount of draft picks that they have coming in, they're in a great position to. Hey, if you want to make the playoffs and, and do that, all right, sure. You know, maybe that'll help with free agency. But I think that they they're in the driver's seat right now to be able to deal some talent, accumulate more picks, and then turn those picks into established players maybe about a year from now. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very interesting what they do. Um, and then Steven Adams. Steven Adams, that's a tough player to gauge value on. He still has a ton of value, of course, but it's just, I don't know. I mean, what do you think the, the rate for Steven Adams would be? Not that we're interested. No, Steven Adams makes no sense for the Pacers. I've seen some people no, throw yeah. his name around for the Pacers because he's a Pacer killer, but... No, I mean, mm-hmm. you've already got your two centers, and I think defensively he does not have the greatest lateral quickness. I think a lot of teams could abuse no. him in the pick and roll, but if a team in the Eastern Conference is looking to add some you know, bulk to him, there's a couple of teams that stand out to me that I think have the, you know, the uh, pieces to make a, a trade. I think mm-hmm. Toronto is one of them. Marcus Saul's on an expiring deal. He's about the same amount of money as Steven Adams. Adams is a little bit younger. You know, maybe the, they could think, oh, well, Steven Adams would be a little bit more physical to guard a guy like Joel Embiid in the playoffs, you know. Not necessarily have to use him as your 35 minutes per game center, but someone that can go out there and bang a little bit, especially if you're if Gasol starts taking a dip in his production. But um, another team I think they could look at him is Boston. You know, Boston's got a lot of wings. Daniel Tice is their only center that's really been playing great. They've been playing Grant Williams at the center, but he's like six foot eight. And that's not going to yeah. do it against Embiid, and no. uh, it's not going to do it against uh, a guy like Sabonis. So you know that's that's a problem there. And I'm not really sure of any other teams that would make sense. I would actually kind of like to see him in like a team like San Antonio. I think he'd be a good pop guy. But you know, I'm just spitting off stuff right now. I just like Stephen Adams. I think wherever he goes, he'll be a positive influence. But I'm yes. just not sure what the right price is for him. Not sure either. But uh, that's going to be an interesting thing to monitor because I do think that Steven Adams could be on the move this year. They have been shopping him what feels like ever since at least the draft time. Yeah, and then speaking of the Spurs, all their guys, you've heard about them, LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan, uh, those are some names that could be had for the right price. And then another name that came up in that conversation today was Rudy Gay. And I think that he's someone that's – not getting paid very much money, but could be a nice complimentary player off the bench for a team. Just, you know, Rudy Gay, he's obviously on the decline from what he was when he first came into the league. He's kind of revived his career a little bit in San Antonio, but mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just not in love with Rudy Gay. I just think he is what he is, and I don't think he really makes your team that much better. But um, any thoughts on any of those Spurs guys, any of those guys you like? Uh, Marcus Aldridge is actually someone who interests me. His contract expires after next year. I think that Aldridge is a player, though, if you're going to bring in, you better be ready to try and be competing for a championship because he's not getting any younger. He's 34 years old, um, and right now I I could see a drop-off after the the next year or two. 
Um, however, any any trade, if you were going to target Aldridge, has to involve Miles Turner. And at that point, you know, uh, I don't want to keep dragging his name through the mud or anything like that. But if you're going to bring in Aldridge, you better be ready to win it all. And I, wow. I think that Aldridge is a team that if you if you bring him in, though, if you bring him in and you still have Sabonis at, at power forward, while I know Aldridge is a center, uh, I, I think offensively you're going to be a much better team. Defensively, See, I, don't, I don't necessarily I don't. buy that. I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't want to disagree with yeah. you here too much, but I don't like the Aldridge-Sabonis fit at all. I think that those guys both need the ball to flourish on offense. I don't really think you can make Sabonis a stretch four. I don't think you can make Aldridge a stretch four. They're both you can't, mid-range, you can't. mid-range low post guys, and you don't really want Aldridge taking Sabonis' touches with how involved he is. You know, you might want to stagger their minutes, similar to what you're doing, but honestly, I don't, I don't like the Aldridge fit. I know that he played with McMillan back in Portland. I just feel like... You know, if there's anybody out of those three that I would even consider looking at, it would only be Rudy Gay, and that's just to, you know, come off the bench. But I really don't even think he's necessary. I mean, there's nobody on that Spurs team that makes any sense to yeah. me the Pacers, especially uh, considering what Turner brings on the, the defensive end. I mean, yes, offensively he is uh, a hot mess sometimes, but defensively, his ability to block shots is something that Aldridge is not good at, and I think that that's well, Aldridge is averaging 1.8 blocks per game uh, this year. It's more of the career system. high. Um, look, <laughs> yes, I mean, if you want to go from just a spacing standpoint at all, Aldridge essentially just three point shooting is just not part of his game at oh, all. So that's something I mean, that Spurs don't do that. They're it, like the oh, Pacers. Oh no, 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 no! I want nothing to do with DeRozan. DeRozan won't even <laughs> attempt a three. So for a shooting guard, uh, it, it's just something that you have to be able to do, and DeRozan won't even attempt a three. So. No thank you on that, but I'd say uh, we could probably move on to the next segment. Well, there was one last thing I wanted to bring up with these trade rumors because one very important thing that KOC mentioned, that there could be some picks that are available, and he did mention the Pacers picked in Milwaukee. I believe it is lottery protected. I'm not sure. It is. I, I don't know how far it goes to, but I think it's just lottery protected. And so I don't want to say that's fact fact that it's completely 1 through 14, but anyway, I'm just saying, like, that's a pick that could be on the move, and there's some guys that he did mention, I mentioned this on our last podcast with Scout with Brian, Davis Bertons is a guy that could be had for from Washington, Marvin Williams from Charlotte, we mentioned him before the season started, and then some more, um, some players I think they're a little bit better uh, for a bench rule that would fit the Pacers, J.J. Redick, we've always liked him. Um, Always. Marcus Morris, he's a little bit crazy, but I think his defensive presence would be huge at the four, uh, playing the three and the four off the bench. You know, that's what we talked about, a backup four that can defend. We don't have that. And then the other guy that I mentioned to you this weekend, Andre Iguodala. He's someone else that could Mm -hmm. be moved, and there's no way that they're just going to let him go to the Lakers. They're not doing that. They're not buying him out. They're going to use him to get a trade piece back, and I think that's extremely smart of Memphis. And – Depending on what the Pacers want, I mean, I think Iguodala would be a huge help to this Pacers team in the playoffs. Oh, he very much would. He would be the veteran presence that I preached for 10 episodes in a row this offseason. Iguodala would be that veteran, and I do think that he knows that his time is winding down, and he's still got some good stuff to give a team, and I think that being able to join the Pacers, I, I think that it would make us an even better defensive unit 
And I think that from offensively, he could still be good for you. He could chip in here and there. But defensively and just being able to add a championship-like player would be big to this team. Now, when you mentioned Bertans, a.k.a. the Latvian Laser, oh this my God. man, uh, that, is his, that is his nickname this year. Trust me, I, I, I get the local Wizards, you know, news coverage down here. This man is lights out from three, oh, shooting God. 45% on the year. A career year is an understatement. That would be a player that does not need the ball much but is contributing, you know, very much for this Wizards team. Um, I think that that would be an awesome piece to add. Uh, but other than that, I, I just really don't see the Pacers making a move given the fact that Oladipo has not returned. I think the Pacers are happy with what they currently have and are excited for what they could have when Oladipo returns. Well, let's just keep our eye on these guys because anything can happen from now until February. And I, I don't know, but I feel like Miles Turner is a ticking time bomb with his usage right now on the Pacers team. Not sure if he's really enjoying how he's being utilized in McMillan's offense. And I think it's only a matter of time if this continues to happen before we see him kind of flip a lid, whether it's in practice, whether it's behind the scenes. Keep your eye on it because it's going to be really hard for him to see Sabonis get an all-star bid and him, you know, sitting there having to sacrifice so much. I just... A young guy, 23 years old, trying to play through it all. It's got to be tough when you feel like you're not being utilized the way you should be, and maybe he's not. But anyway, Fachi, let's take a really quick break here, and we will come back. All right? Let's do it. What up, everybody? Mike Fachi here. And if you haven't already checked it out, go to PacersTalk.net for the latest coverage on all Pacer news. We have game recaps, game previews, and everything you can imagine. Let's go, Pacers. All right, that segment went a little bit longer than we expected because there's a lot of names out there, but I felt like it was something we needed to touch on. So now we're going to do our quotables from this week. There are four quotes that me and Fachi have come up with. So I'll start off first. Uh, I think it's relevant because the Pacers play the Celtics tomorrow. Max Carlin from Celtics blog had this to say on Twitter. He said, Opponents shoot 12.9% better at the rim with Enos Cantor on the court versus off. The differential is zeroth percentile, so it's the worst of any player in the NBA. He goes on to say, He is a disaster, and opponents shoot 2.3% more often at the rim with Cantor on the floor versus off, which ranks in the 24th percentile. So that was my first quote from the quotable section. Fachi. I mean, you got to love it because Enos Kanter was someone who you always felt like oh, offensively, you know, he brings it, you know, each night in the Knicks, at least he did. But defensively, you really don't get to see until you watch the game of just how poor of a defender he is. And with the Pacers, you know, Biggs being some of their strengths, a.k.a. Sabonis, it's got to be a matchup that you have to exploit. And uh, I'm excited for that because if you're going to take down the Celtics, that's going to be a key matchup. Absolutely. So give us your first quote. So my first quote was uh, from Shams from The Athletic. I know his last name. I, you've had it before. Sharania. It Sharania? Okay, Sharania. So Sam's, Shams Sharania. Okay, of the I got to just correct it. It's Shams. It's Shams Sharania. Shams Sharania. It's kind Shams. Of yeah. Shams. Shams. Anyway, uh, reported recently that Trey Young reportedly had a blow-up following a recent loss to the Nets, their 11th loss in 12 games where management told him, quote, they will get him help soon. Alex, 
What do you think they mean when they say get him help soon? This Hawks team, they're young and they have a lot of young players. Would they be willing to move some of those young players that are the future? Or do you just tell Trey, hey, look, the help is around you. Just give him time. Yeah, well, they're going to give him some help soon when John Collins gets off the suspension list. And John Collins will come back and they'll be a better team. I mean, that's... Really, I mean, I think they'd actually be a lot better if he was playing. I mean, you're sending out Alex Lynn and playing, you know, uh, DeAndre Hunter and Jabari Parker a lot of minutes. And, you know, while I like some of those guys and how they play this year, it's just they're not at John Collins' level. That's the help they're going to get. And and personally, Trey Young, it's your second year in the NBA. I'm sorry that, you know, you're going to be attached to the Luka Doncic trade for your entire life. You can't help that you're not as talented as Luka Doncic, and you can't help that the Mavericks have a better team, you know. Deal with it. The Hawks are doing the right thing. They've got good players around them. Kevin Herter was hurt for a majority of that time as well. He's a lights-out shooter. This Hawks team is fine. Trey just needs to calm down and quit being immature, in my opinion. Exactly. Who is Trey Young to complain and say, you need to get me help in year two? I mean, they have so much young talent on that team that everybody even noted, give it a couple of years, this Hawks team could be scary. These guys need to grow together. So embrace it and more to say, hey, these are my guys. Nobody wants to lose, and this is a definition of how losing wears on you. You lose 11 of 12 games when you're probably used to you know, dominating most of your life, although him and Oklahoma, they weren't that great. Uh, you know, it, it's it takes time in the NBA, and you can't you can't blow up like this in year two, especially about you know twenty three games into the season. Absolutely. Well, let's move on. My second and final quote comes from Mike Bassetti from Raptors Rupture. He said, after an impressive seven game winning streak, the Raptors have gone zero three in their most recent stretch to teams with above five hundred records. The Raptors' record against such opponents is a miserable three and seven. So yes. While the Raptors have been really good this year and they've been a little bit better than the Pacers and Pascal Siakam's having a breakout year, that just stood out to me, Fachi. 3-7 and seven against teams with five uh, above 500 records. Uh, I, think they're, I think there's somebody to keep an eye on for who the Pacers could pass in the standings. Uh, no, they, they very much are because, look, when you look at this Raptors team, this is just about as good as it's going to get for them. Uh, Marcus Ole is not getting any younger. I do think he'll be dealt at some point. Kyle Lowry, once again, not getting younger either. So I think that this team, as it, as the year goes on, you know, they may have to explore some trade options to try and keep this going. Siakam is a stud. Don't, don't get that confused at all. But, yeah, they've lost to Boston, Milwaukee, the Clippers, uh, Dallas, Miami, Houston, Philly. I mean, these are all the good teams that they've played. So uh, I'm not – I mean, obviously they have a good win against the Lakers and a few other. But at the same point, they don't scare me. Uh, I think that at 16-7, hey, for them, they shouldn't be scared. But you got to know that you were not going to be an alpha dog of the East this year without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. All right, Fachi, what's your final quote for this segment? My final quote was from Mark Stein, who has reported that Zion Williamson's debut may be pushed back to, quote, the next calendar year, a.k.a. looking about January. Now, Alex, they said this was going to be a six-week injury. We are past the six-week time frame. It looks like it could be a 12-week injury. Is there a reason to be concerned about Zion, or are they just playing it very safe? Uh, well, with the way the Pelicans have been playing this year, there's no reason to rush him back. 
I think that playing it safe is a smart thing to do because that is your franchise player. There's no reason to bring him back, and I think that taking it slowly, getting him back when he's healthy, makes the most sense, and it's exactly what the Pelicans should do. Uh, I completely agree. I mean, right now the Pelicans are not going anywhere this year. They're six and eighteen. Uh, for Zion, that is your golden ticket. You know, your everything. Yeah. You might as well bring him back when he's a hundred and ten percent. So I think for right now they're playing it safe, and it makes complete sense. You rush him back now in his rookie year, and you have nothing to play for. It it, it could just there could be lingering results. Zion's already had some some knee issues, lower level, you know, lower body issues in the past. Might as well play it safe. Absolutely. Well, I think, Fachi, it's time to cue the music because it's time for our fantasy basketball update. All right, everybody. So this week in our fantasy update, the Pacers had three games. Uh, on on the count and the galvanizing golden scored 202.5 points they were led by demontis sabonis's 95.5 the stat sheet stuffer himself the ferocious fachis 188.5 while it was close Brogdon did miss a game i think that would have been the difference but we are not in the business of excuses so, for that, the Galvanizing Goldens capture the win on this week and grow their season lead to now 1,705.5 to 1,315, a lead that is going to be tough to make up, but we will never give up. Yeah, you'll never give up and you'll never get close to sniffing my jockstrap. That, I hope, never happens. <laughs> Well, what's really funny is the fact that me and you have never met in person, but we've been doing this podcast and been doing podcasts for like two to three years. So it is it is quite hilarious how we have become such good friends over the internet. And I think that's just something that would be really cool one day when we do meet. I, I think that we'd have a blast. But uh, anyway, Fachi, this this fantasy basketball thing. I mean, are you ready to give up yet? It's getting ugly, but the towel will not be thrown in there. I'm not even surrounded by a towel. I can't. I couldn't find one to throw in, even if I tried. So, but also shout out to the Indiana Pacers for bringing us together and bringing you this podcast on a weekly basis. That is what the Pacers do. They bring people together, no matter what state you're in. Well, I'm willing to trade you TJ Lee so he can give you the towel because he is definitely holding a towel on the bench. Even last night, got summoned by Nate McMillan to check in. And when he got to the scores table, he said, never mind, go back to the bench. I thought that was the funniest moment in last night's game. And all I can think of was TJ Warren was substituted out the very next play. So I am curious, did McMillan get confused and say going for TJ and TJ Leaf thought it was him? It had to have been. There's just too many (laughs) TJs on this team. Uh, Yeah. no, no coincidence. He gave you zero fantasy points on the week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I just couldn't pick him. I couldn't do it. My man Alize still gave me a zero, but I am proud of that zero because he's with the ferocious Fashis. Yeah, I mean, it's McConnell, Justin Holiday, Sabonis, T.J. Warren. I mean, they're kind of carrying my team right now. Uh, Goga's not really getting much playing time. No Jakar. No T.J. Leaf. Who's my, who's my other one that I have on the roster? Uh, Victor, well, 
Yes, exactly. So your 95.5 points out of Sabonis was, you know, uh, basically half of my whole team's total. Um, you know, it was uh, he had a he is quite the fantasy player. He is. You got 30 points out of TJ McConnell, 48.5 out of TJ Warren. Uh, I had more of a balanced effort. We got 35.5 out of Brogdon, 42.5 out of Lamb, 39.5 out of McDermott, yeah. and 42 out of out of uh, Miles Turner. Yeah, I mean it's. It, I mean, if you take away Sabonis, it's pretty balanced. I mean, I just getting that first pick was just huge, and you know, I don't really know how you could have done better to build your team. But anyway, let's move on. There's three teams that we're playing this week. We mentioned them: Boston, Atlanta, and Charlotte. So for Boston, the player that we're going to highlight is Kimba Walker. So you know, his change from Charlotte to Boston, I think there's a lot of you know skepticism of how good he would be in a new system, not being the you know guy that the team is just focused on the entire game and honestly you know he has been a huge help to the Celtics team with the absence of Kyrie Irving you mentioned earlier with Brooklyn they've been winning games without Kyrie Irving and the Celtics are doing the same thing Kimba Walker though has been a huge part of that Faji yes he has and I love Kimba Walker as a player but Kemba Walker is not meant to be putting up about 30 points per game on a winning team he just can't do it alone and there were so many years in Charlotte where we didn't get to see him come playoff time because they couldn't have the pieces around him. Well, right now, Kemba Walker has the pieces around him to flourish, and that's what he's doing. He's taken a few less shots this year, which I'm sure he was happy to give up, but he's still getting his right around 22 points per game. He's shooting over 40% from three, which is career high. And the Celtics are winning games. That's everything yeah. he could have asked for. And Kemba is going to be a problem for opposing teams this year. And for the Celtics, I mean, you lose Kyrie Irving. It must be such a luxury to then move on to Kemba Walker. I yeah. mean, that is quite the transition right there. No, and they've really been doing a great job in Boston. Uh, we'll we'll spend some more time on them in the next segment as we preview that game. So I don't want to spend too much time there. Now, let's move on to Atlanta. We already mentioned him, Trey Young. Incredible stats on a bad losing team for the Hawks. Mentioned that he wants to get some, you know, roster help. But, you know, Trey Young isn't playing outstanding. He put up 49 points against the Pacers last time they played. The Pacers faced them on Friday night at 7.30. So it's going to be huge for the Pacers to make sure that they keep Trey intact and don't let these other guys go off because – Really, Trey has just been phenomenal this year. He really has. You cannot let one man beat you, and that's just about what Trey Young most accomplished last time. Shooting 16 of 28, I mean, very efficient from the floor. He did have those nine turnovers, so you do know that at times he's going to try to do a bit too much, and unfortunately, that's what he has to do. Yeah. So the Pacers cannot let one man beat them. Force Atlanta's youth to try and step up and, and, and beat us. And I think that the Pacers will be able to walk away with a, a much larger victory than just the one-point overtime win that they had last time. Yeah, and then and then another overtime game in the Pacers face this year was against the Charlotte Hornets. Devontae Graham was unbelievable that game. Uh, he's having a breakout season, man. He's coming off the bench averaging 18.8 points per game and 7.8 assists per game. He had 35 against the Pacers last time, and the Pacers definitely – were undermanned, no Sabonis. I think Lamb played, but he went on the IR after that for like the next seven games. 
No Miles Turner. You know, great shooting night from T.J. Warren and Malcolm Brogdon. But in that Hornets game, Flatchy, you know, Devontae Graham was just unbelievable, hard to stop, and, you know, he's just having a breakout year. So what do you think about Devontae Graham's most improved player of the year campaign so far this season? Alex, Devontae Graham is one of the hidden gems in the NBA this year. You're talking about a second-round pick who last year averaged 4.7 points per game on an abysmal 34% shooting. This year he's averaging a hair under 19 points per game to go with nearly 8 assists per game. Shooting over 41% from 3-point percentage. I typically don't like to give most improved player of the year to a second-year player because you are expected to take a jump. But, Alex, nobody could have predicted this jump. And I think that he is a big reason why the Hornets even have some wins this year because I thought they would be the worst team in the league. Yeah. And, no, and exactly I mean, right. while they're not good, they're 9-16. and 16, And for me, that's better than what I thought that they would be. So Devontae Graham, I think, has to be in the running for most improved player of the year. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Fachi. I mean, he's just a guy that's been unbelievable, and we will cover him on our show for Friday. But uh, let's take a quick break. Let's recap last night's game against the Clippers, Paul George's comments, and then we'll preview that Celtics game in about 10, 15-minute segments. So bear with us. We'll be right back. All righty, we are all reset now and ready for the final segment of today's show. A little bit of a lengthy show, so we appreciate you guys sticking around for a long show. Hope you guys are enjoying it. But we're going to preview that Boston Celtics game here in a second. But I want to recap that Clippers game like I mentioned, Fachi. Uh, you know, poor shooting night. It feels like the first game back home after a long road trip is always the toughest. No Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers, but, you know, the Clippers were just a little bit better from beyond the arc. And, you know, really, the, the Pacers just couldn't hit shots. Honestly, Alex, I feel like the Pacers came out flat. Uh, Brogdon even mentioned it, that he felt like they didn't have the right energy last night because the Pacers had looks, and they just couldn't hit. The 35% shooting uh, on the year, it, it was uh, last night, second worst on the year only to that Bucks game. Uh, I, I felt like the Pacers just, I don't know, uh, they just didn't come with that same fire that you would have expected against a Clippers team that was lacking not just Kawhi, but Jermichael Green, uh, Landry Shamet was also out. I'm not going to lie. I thought the Pacers were going were gonna to take this game, and it, it just they started out sluggish, and it, it while they made it closer, cut it to single digits towards the end, it just never looked like a game that the Pacers were in control for. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I was really concerned about the Lou Williams-Montrez Harrell combination mm-hmm. off the bench. I mean, Lou Williams, we mentioned it earlier in the show, 2 of 19 last night. Now, Montrez Harrell had a monster game with 24 points, yes, I believe. Did. But, you know, I mean, that's just what he does. I and mean, he played a lot of minutes, and really it was just an overall bad, you know, shooting night. And I thought it was funny what McMillan said last night. In the press conference after the game, he said, I don't really think it was the Clippers' defense. I just think we missed shots. He said it was nothing the Clippers did. We were just not hitting shots that we normally hit. And he said if we hit our shots, you know, the game probably flips another way. So I I was really encouraged by those comments by McMillan, even though he always talks about shots. I just think he wasn't going to let the Clippers get away with that pathetic zone they were running because they said they wanted to save their legs because of the (laughs) back-to-back they were on. 
I, I know, and that's another thing that that kind of hurts. That the fact that the Clippers were coming off of a back to back, I just felt like all everything should have added up to the Pacers either winning this game or being just more involved. Now, look, like both teams started off a, a bit sluggish in the first half, but it was you know right around it was forty six forty five with two minutes and twenty five seconds remaining, and then the Clippers went on a fourteen and three run. To close it out, go up sixty to forty-eight and a half, and that was the biggest never, problem. They should have. It really was back in. I don't understand why McMillan put Goga there. That made me the most furious out of anything I watched the game in the game. Because even if you don't want to put Sabonis in because he has two fouls, at least put in a, a solid defender like Justin Holiday. It's not like the Clippers were huge, and you know, I love Goga. I think that the future is bright for the kid. But my goodness. He's just inexperienced, and he's not going to be able to hang with the big guys that are getting consistent minutes for the Clippers. I just didn't think it made any sense. He should have played some bonus, and if they cut that lead in half, go to the locker room down by six, that's a totally different ball game. Yeah. I mean, just as you mentioned, Gogo played two minutes in that span. It was minus eight on the plus minus. I mean, it was that that time right there where things really fell apart, and uh Goga is going to be a very good pro, but it's going to take time. It is. And, man, I know you mentioned the other Holiday, but Aaron Holiday, just a little bit of an update. He's now shooting 17 of 56 in his last eight games. That's 32%. Since Brogdon has come back, Holiday has played less and less of a role, and I think that it's it's been frustrating because in 13 minutes yesterday – he still managed to get seven shots up. Unfortunately, it was just one of seven. So, Alex, what can we do to get Holiday back on it? Because now Edmund Sumner is back. He officially logged minutes yesterday, and this isn't a good sign for uh, Aaron Holiday. Well, when Edmund Sumner came into the game, that's when the Pacers went on their little run. He was a plus <laughs> six off the bench. Uh, the only player besides C.J. McConnell off the bench that had a plus in the entire game. Sabonis was a plus 14 for the game. Uh, only starter that was a plus. So it, it just goes to show why they should have played Sabonis in that moment. But it also shows why Edmund Sumner might be getting his minutes back from Aaron Holiday because Aaron Holiday, I hate to say it, but he's just not shooting the ball well. And if he's not he's shooting not. well, uh, going a little bit undersized there in the backcourt with him and McConnell doesn't make sense. Uh, McConnell's not coming out of the rotation. Edmund Sumner is healthy and back. What he brought to the team last night in that little stretch was pivotal for them cutting it down to 10. I, I think it got down to 8 at one point. Um, it did. It did. And mm-hmm. there was a – I think if T.J. Warren would have made a 3, it would have cut it even down to 4. So maybe they got down to 7. So I, all I know is that Sumner's got the, the spark off the bench. He's just an energy guy. I don't know if he's going to be able to play those energy minutes for a long stretch of time. But little spurts here and there, especially if Holiday's not playing well uh, – I think that Aaron Holiday should be worried. Aaron Holiday should be worried about his minutes. He very much should. And it just seems like, oh, man, how things change in just about, you know, maybe about a week or two because Aaron Holiday was playing some of the best basketball of his young career. He's a good and starter, about, but he's not a good player. Yeah, he's not because I think he needs to have the ball in his hand more and just be more in a rhythm. And I think that when you cut his minutes in half, He's not able to give you half the production. It doesn't work like yeah. that way for him. He just kind of falls off. And I think for that right now, we're going to see Edmund Sumner's minutes probably tick up. And and uh, Aaron Holiday's minutes kind of tick down a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to say that's going to happen immediately, but I think that no, if it continues to struggle, that's when you'll see the change. Yeah, I mean, since Brogdon's been back, it, there has not been solid Aaron Holiday production, and I hope that that leash doesn't continue to grow shorter and shorter and that Aaron Holiday is able to shoot himself out of this uh, slump. Yeah, well, let's let's move on. So I think the real highlight after last night's game was the post-game interview with Paul George where he had some choice words to say. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of what Paul George had to say to the media last night. You know what? Some, someday I'll do a tell-all. I'll tell the leading events of how I left Indiana. Um, and I promise you, I'm not the one to bring. So Paul George said there that He's going to do a tell-all of the leading events that caused him to leave, and he promises us that the person that we should be booing is still here. Um, Fachi, I, I, I said my piece on Twitter. I don't want to get into this too much, but what were your initial reactions to Paul George's comments? It sounds like some schoolyard drama, like <laughs> saying, like, ooh, I have some, some news to share, but I'm not going to share it yet. So just wait. It's like now you got everybody asking him about it. I mean, is why would he even come out with these comments in the first place? It's like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Well, so it's now Paul George, he says what he wants. I and he also is now embracing being the quote the villain. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if if that's really what he wants because you know Pacer fans aren't going to forget this. Uh, but I mean, Alex. I believe he was talking about Larry Bird. Am I wrong? No, I mean, I think it makes sense because if you look at everything that happened, Larry Bird made some questionable decisions. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can blame Larry Bird for it, but you can also say, look, Larry Bird was just trying to improve the team. Uh, They mentioned on the jump today they thought it had to do with Larry Bird trying to tell Paul who's going to play the four. I think that was part of it. I also think it was Larry Bird said, I don't go to Paul George and ask him for the decisions I'm making. I make them myself. I think Paul felt like he should be a little bit more involved with the daily operations because he felt like I'm the star player. LeBron James has a say in what happens. I feel like I'm in the same boat. And he mentioned in that in that entire interview, he said, look, um, yeah, there's not really been a time where me and Kawhi have talked about us playing in Indiana together because, you know, we traded for George Hill. George Hill was one of my best friends when he was here. And so it was kind of one of those uh, bittersweet moments. I didn't get to play with Kawhi here, but I got to play with my best friend George Hill. And a good guy. So with George Hill, you know, I mean, the thing with George Hill is like when Larry Bird traded George Hill to the Jazz and ended up getting Jeff Teague, I think a lot of Pacer fans were excited. But I think that was like the beginning of the end for the relationship that the Pacers have with Paul George because you you got rid of everybody he had played with. Danny Granger, David West, Roy Hibbert, uh, George Hill, Lance Stevenson. The guys that were the core pieces around him were all gone. All he had left was Jean Mahimi. Oh, my God. That is not enough left to, to keep a man happy in well, Jan I Mahimi. But I, I completely know what you're talking about because he referenced that when the Pacers traded Danny Granger, he was shocked by that. The fact that if they would do Granger like that, then he felt like there wasn't as much loyalty as there should be there. Um, obviously, the desire for Bird to have Paul George play power forward was something that Pacer fans kind of immediately, it comes to mind, saying that Paul George was unhappy about that, 
felt like he should have had more of a say, just as you mentioned, wasn't being treated like a star. Also, one thing I remember, which I don't feel like isn't talked about as much, is I remember Bird saying that Miles Turner could be the best pacer player to ever play, and that was while yeah. Paul George was on the team. Yeah, I, I remember that comment being like, ow, just why would you say that? You know, I felt like you were kind of not He's putting down Paul. He don't care. I know, but sometimes you got to care. You know, because... Uh, that's the same reason Magic Johnson failed. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother story. But it's just, Paul, sometimes you need to treat a star like a star. And clearly, Paul George wanted to be pampered. And they obviously, you know, probably didn't do that in Oklahoma City. And, you know, the man ended up getting on his way to L.A. But now we have more drama because it's not just going to end here. No. You know, it was obvious that those boos hurt him. It, it, well, no matter what he says, no, I think he tried to shrug it off, and I think that he wanted to be eventually, you know, not welcomed, but not booed every time well, he touched the ball He wanted to be like appreciated in love for his time here with the Pacers. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but let me just tell you this. The reason Pacer fans boo is because Paul George said, I want out. It's got nothing to do with Larry Bird and... Oh, we're mad because he's so good. No, we're mad because he quit on the franchise. That's why everybody is upset about the deal. We love Oladipo. We love Sabonis. We're extremely happy that we have those two players on our team. There's no doubt about it. You know, we traded a guy that wanted to be out for two potential All-Stars. Yes, that is part of it. But the other reason that we're so emotional is because Paul George is arguably the best player the franchise has ever had in uniform, and he quit on the team. He quit on the franchise, and you can say, well, Larry Bird led all these events, you know, getting Monte Ellis, C.J. Miles not, you know, taking the last shot against the Cavaliers in Game 1 of the 2016 NBA playoffs. Whatever you want to say, there's a lot of things that led up to it, but at the end of the day, you look back at it, what is it? Paul George is egotistical. Paul George loves the spotlight. Paul George wants everybody to love him. He can't handle the booze. Yes, he came in there. He enjoyed it because he wanted to silence the crowd, whatever. I guess you could say he handled the booze, but emotionally he didn't like it. And I'll tell you this much. The reason he signed, re-signed an OKC was because, number one, he wasn't going to go to the Lakers with, with LeBron James. It didn't make sense for him to do that. I don't think he wanted to be second fiddle to him out of all the people because that's a person he couldn't beat. And then he couldn't just throw away that friendship he had with Russell Westbrook. Those two guys became like best friends when he came there. And... It came to the point where they lost again in the first round. Westbrook said he wanted to move on. PG said he wanted to move on from OKC. So it had nothing to do with, you know, in my opinion, Paul wanting to leave him for Los Angeles. I think it was he got the approval and the acceptance from Westbrook, so he kept that relationship. He kept that positivity while, you know, he made that transition because Paul George cares way too much about what people think about it. Alex, I, I completely agree because the image in my head was basically that Russell Westbrook was not going to let him leave or take a meeting. And I felt like Paul George probably couldn't really say no to him and thought, this is something I can work out later on. Like, yeah. I, I, can, I can force a trade out, but right now in the situation, if I just sign with L.A., they're going to think that I just took OKC, you know, for, for a, a test drive and, and moved on. And yeah. it, it's it's not the popular thing to say, but Alex, I loved Paul George. He was my when Jermaine O'Neal moved on and retired. 
Paul George was my favorite player. And on my birthday, I went to a game back in Brooklyn, and Paul George gave me his shoe. I have his actual shoe. It's in a shadow box in my room. It was one of the most, like, unbelievable nights. I was like, this this will always be my guy. And when the trade rumor went, went not the trade rumor, when the trade went down and he requested it out, it, it crushed me. And, yeah. and just and everything since has not made it any better. It's not like you've heard him say, "Hey, you know, maybe I overreact or anything." It's like he's played, he's doubled down on it, and just kind of said, "Oh yeah, we'll just wait. You know, I'll reveal all." I don't think he will. And if you do, I think it's just going to end up bashing the team. Yeah. So I, I don't know <sighs> when they'll ever be able to make it right. Um, you know, Paul George is already on his second team since then. I think the Pacers are building something sustainable here in Indiana. So, hey, if you needed to be out, I at least appreciate that you asked to be out and didn't just leave us in free agency for nothing. Well, that's what he felt like he was doing the right thing, you know. He, he said everything leading up to that, oh, I want to win a championship with Indiana, then request a trade, like, that was rough. Yeah, like that three was days a total later. lie. Oh yeah, I mean, That's... what is he supposed to do? Like I'm saying, he was trying to keep face. He was trying to approach it the right way. You know, he said, "Oh, I tried to help the team out," but he also mentioned that he wanted to play for the Lakers. So it is what it is. I mean, Paul George is who he is. He's a guy that loves himself more than the team. He's a me guy. He's a shoe guy. He's whatever you want to call it. Great basketball player, but his leadership skills were awful. There's a reason Kevin Pritchard said that. His favorite season was the year when they traded Paul George and won 48 games. The positivity that Victor Oladipo brought into this locker room was a huge difference maker for the culture of this entire franchise from the front office all the way down to the, the, the trainers and whatever. you know. I just think that the biggest fear the Pacers have is Oladipo leaving once he hits free agency, and that is why they're being extremely patient and allowing him to rehab the way he wants to rehab with his injury because they don't want a bad rep. And they want to make sure that the guys that they have stay a part of their franchise and that they can just keep this core intact because they feel like they've got something special here. Oh, no, I think they definitely do. And I don't know what goes behind Oladipo doing the mass Singer, but I think that the Pacers are allowing him every opportunity to be able to flourish, not have Indiana being a smaller market hold him back in any way, being able to rehab the way he wants, just like you said, to be able to nurture this situation so when free agency comes, hey, he's got no reason to leave. You surrounded him with better talent to win. And I think that they're playing this situation perfectly as a you know, not as a result of how they played the Paul George situation before, but as you mentioned, they didn't make the right moves. You know, guys like CJ Miles, I mean, how much better does that really make your team? No offense to CJ Miles. I they just they didn't do the right signings to build the team around Paul George. I think they made all the positive and right moves this time around with Oladipo. No, you're exactly right. So uh, I think we've pretty much hit the nail on the head with this conversation here, Fachi. Let's finish out today's show previewing that Celtics-Pacers game for tomorrow. Big, big game for the Pacers. Want to prove that they're right up there with the elite of the East. They've already lost to Philadelphia and Milwaukee in those games that they've had. So now they're going to be hosting the Boston Celtics, and Fachi, you got some stats up here for me to kind of highlight what the Celtics have been doing this year. Oh, yeah, you know I always got some stats for you. So the Celtics come in here at 17-5, and a perfect 10-0 and at home, which doesn't make a difference because they're on the road where they <laughs> okay, are 7-5. So I read five. the stat. 
I'm going to read it off because know that they are not as good on the road as they are at home. Seven and five losses to Philly, the Kings, Clippers, Nuggets, and Nets. So I'm really not impressed with how the Celtics are. However, they are getting back. Gordon Hayward is officially back. and Marcus Smart is questionable. Missed last game with an eye injury. I do expect Marcus Smart to play. Um, Now the Celtics, just as a team, they're giving up the second fewest points per game in the league at 102.8. So defensively, you're going to have your hands full. This is a top five team in blocks and steals. They've also won four straight and seven out of ten. They're 11-2 against the East. So the, the games that they've won, it's they've dominated the Eastern Conference so far. You know, their record against the West, it, it, it doesn't really matter when you're just focused on winning the East. So right now, it's not just one guy that you need to stop. While we highlighted Kemba Walker, this is a team that has three scores averaging 20 or more. In Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then Gordon Hayward, what is he, chop liver, only averaging over 18? This is a deep team. Yeah, I mean, deep. this is this is going to be tough. Uh, so, Alex, I mean, there's 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 ways that the Pacers can, you know, de- they're going to be going depth for depth against this yeah. team because it, it's going to be tough. What do you see as maybe your some some weaknesses for the Celtics or where we can exploit? Well, you mentioned that their power forward is probably Jalen Brown. Uh, yeah, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward, they're all pretty small. So it'll be interesting to see who defends the pick and roll with Sabonis, who guards Miles Turner. Now, I think that we will probably see uh, a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown, even possibly a Gordon Hayward if he starts on Miles Turner because of the way the Pacers are using him. You'll see Daniel Tice on DeMontis Sabonis. Now, I think the Pacers can attack that. I think that Brogdon's size can make you know Kimball Walker pay on the defensive end. We'll have to see how he does in that. But I think putting your two best players... DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon against Kemba Walker and Daniel Tice, arguably the the Celtics' two worst defenders in their starting lineup in the pick-and-roll. I think that that's a way the Pacers can expose the Celtics. Now on the bench, I think the Pacers are a little bit more balanced as far as scoring goes. T.J. McConnell, a veteran. Doug McDermott, Justin Holiday, all veterans playing with Sabonis. And then whichever young guy the Pacers play at that two-guard position, whether it be Holiday or Sumner, you know, I just like the the veteran chemistry that these guys have off the bench, I think that can be a factor against Boston's team. Now, Boston does have the ability to stagger their wings because they're so deep on the wing uh, with the second unit. So it'll be kind of a challenge if they do go with Jalen Brown in the second unit, trying to defend him with Justin Holliday. I mean, whomever they put on him, you know, it's going to be a challenge for this Pacers team. But, you know, the guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing is someone that I wanted the Pacers to look at in the draft, and that's Grant Williams. Uh, he has been a monster for the Celtics. Has played a little bit of small ball center sometimes, but you know, I, I'm telling you, Fachi, this is a game the Pacers can easily win, and I think that it would be a huge confidence booster for them because if they lose this game, go beat the Hawks and the Horns, and then lose to the Lakers next week. We're in the same boat as we were a week ago. Beat good teams, or beat bad teams, lose to good teams. Exactly. I'm looking at this game as more of an evaluator of where the Pacers are at on the season. Because that Philly game, look, the Pacers played Philly well. They they didn't at the end of the game, that final, you know, 20 seconds or so. But the Celtics are a team that we faced in the playoffs last year and very well could face again this year. Right now, Boston's in the two seed. The Pacers are in the six. You know how easy it could become three versus six or four versus five. You know, you never know. So 
this is a matchup where I want to know, okay, great. We have the the second best plus minus amongst our starting five of anyone in the league. Well, let's put it to test against Boston's starting five because they have a very good starting five as well. And when you mentioned, their bench is weaker. So the, the, there is certain areas where the Pacers can excel. Uh, one thing that I was thinking, I've preached so much on this on this show, the Pacers need to win the rebounding and turnover battle in the games. And when they win those, their winning percentage is through the roof. Boston's turning the ball over at the second fewest rate in the league behind just Dallas. Okay. So it, it's going to be tough. It, it is. You know, this is a def- two very good defensive units. Um, Boston, they, they score more. They rebound more. Um, man, I mean, I think that Sabonis has to be the guy to, to rip off pretty much a monster game. You can't count yeah. on 22 rebounds. But I think for Sabonis, you're going to need to try and get right around, you know, Maybe twenty and fifteen. Yeah, you know, I, the only thing I'm worried about. Was, the only thing I'm worried about with Sabonis this game is the foul trouble. Because yes. you know, if Turner is going to be guarding Tice, that means that Sabonis is going to be chasing a Jalen Brown or a Gordon Hayward, and you know that's going to be a lot more of a challenge than what he did with the Bucks trying to guard Giannis. And I know that sounds weird to say that, but I mean they were double teaming Giannis. Him and Miles Turner were. Really working hard at that, and Giannis didn't shoot a lot of threes against the Pacers, so it was the other guys that really helped contribute. And I thought Sabonis did, you know, did a good job of staying with him, and he was able to be physical. Where I'm worried about the quickness and the the twitch of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just blowing right by him. I think you'll see Brock. I think he probably. I mean, it's <laughs> they're so talented. I mean, their four four wings are huge. Kimba. Mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. If he's got to guard one of those, they're going to attack that matchup just because Sabonis is a little bit slow on his feet. And I really feel bad for saying that I think it'll be harder than it was for Giannis because that's a really, really <laughs> bad statement. I shouldn't have said that. But uh, just just I think, you know, it's a, it's a tough matchup. And regardless, he's going to have his hands full. But he's got to make them pay on the other end. They have got to abuse whomever they're trying to put those small guys on, on the bigs. I mean, they, they have to abuse the offensive glass. Well, they have to. I mean, this is a game that the Pacers have to show up in terms of, of rebounding, as you mentioned. I'm curious to see, you know, if, if Marcus Smart doesn't play, I think that that, for the Pacers, I mean, that's going to be pretty big because Kemba is giving up some solid size to Brogdon. I mean, you're talking about at least four inches there, between right, four right. and five inches. So, that would be an interesting matchup to see. But also, you know, the Celtics didn't have Marcus Smart in the playoffs last year against us and still swept us. So this seems like, and while a different team, you know, Jalen Brown and Tatum are very much improved since yeah. last year. Gordon Hayward is, is, is playing much better basketball than he was last year. So they are a scary team. But if the Pacers can, you know, not just hang with them but win this game, I'm going to start to feel even better about this team because we talked about we can't control who we've played in the past. You can only win the games that are set up for you. And I need to see this team beat an Eastern Conference contender. And Boston is a very good shot to get that win. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, we're still going to put the asterisk by, oh, Oladipo's not here. But I want to see them win without Oladipo because what Mm -hmm. if Oladipo is not fully healthy? You know, what if it takes them a lot longer than they expected? What if he doesn't come back until February? What if he's not himself when he comes back? 
You know, you don't want this to be a lost season. I mean, for crying out loud, the all-star campaigns that Sabonis and Brogdon are putting up with the contributions of T.J. Warren and Jeremy Lamb and Miles Turner. I mean, Doug McDermott's having a great year. This is too good of a Pacers team to continue to lose against the elite teams of the Eastern Conference. They've got to put their foot down and get a signature win against an Eastern Conference contender before we can even mention them in the breath of winning a playoff series. It's very true, and for a team like the Celtics, where you know last year they were neck and neck towards the end of the year, who would have home court advantage, this win could prove to be, you know, a, a very important win later on in the season. And uh, I think that the Pacers have to come out strong and respond to a very poor showing against the Clippers. Absolutely, Fachi. Well, this has been a very long episode. We apologize for the lengthiness of the show, but hope you guys enjoyed all all the content that we brought you guys today. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three and on Instagram at Pacers talk. You can follow Fachi at underscore F a double C I. And you can follow me at Alex golden NBA Fachi. Always appreciate talking to you, man. Let's peace out. Pacer nation. Let's go Pacers. Nobody builds 5g like Verizon builds 5g. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.